and gentlemen, and welcome to the third of the Lionel Robbins lectures this year. And uh, this is the one where you find out who done it um, and uh, who the guilty people are. Um, the um, two previous lectures, some of you will have listened to. I have read the slides, um, which the first one was a completely comprehensible story. And the second one, um, the slides, uh, Philippe's going to explain them to me over dinner. So, um, <laughs> but uh, the third one, I'm told, is going to have much less maths. Um, so those who can't bear to look at a slide without at least two sigmas on it can leave now. Um, but uh, it's on, as you can see, designing policies uh, for growth. And it's uh, really about culture. Yeah, so, that's right. Um, so I'm hoping for a lively presentation, which from those who have listened to the first two, I know we are going to get. Uh, before I ask Philippe to start, though, I should also, and it's a great pleasure to do this, welcome members of the Robbins family who are with us uh, this evening, and it's terrific that the long connection between the Robbins family and the LSE is maintained through these lectures in honour of Lionel Robbins, and it's great that generations of the family uh, continue to be in touch with the school. Uh, for those of you who've been to the early ones, you will know exactly who Philippe Aguillon is. Um, he is a professor at Harvard now. His interest is in growth policy and contract theory and, in fact, bringing the two together now. He's been at Harvard since uh, 2000. Uh, before then, from 96 to 2000, uh, he was a professor at UCL. But you can see what a liberal school we are. We don't hold that against him. Um, and we invite the University him of London? Both are not the same? Uh, something called University of London? Ce qui n'existe plus. Oh, he doesn't. Oh, okay. uh, <laughs> he, he did at the time. He did at the time. So. Yes, yes. But uh, that was uh, before, um, before lots of things. Um, <laughs> uh, Pre crisis, anyway. Um, so. Uh, we are delighted to have you here for the third and final instalment of this year's lectures, Philippe. Thanks very much. Thanks. Thank you very much. It's been a great pleasure to be, uh, to, to, to be here since uh, Monday morning and, uh, and uh, to, to uh, interact with uh, uh, PhD students, with colleagues. With, uh, it's been very fruitful. And, uh, anyway, I, I'll... Uh, Writing me memories of it. So now I need to have the the, the how do I uh, oh I do it here here today okay okay it's a different uh, technology I have to I'm very bad I'm I write on technological progress but I'm extremely bad at it and and uh, <laughs> and switching from uh, so I hope this says it has six slides I hope I hope the file has more than six but I think it's because yeah. So that would be dramatic if it, uh, yes, no, we are fine. Okay, good. <laughs> okay, so I will talk about policy uh, uh, and uh, culture. And, uh, and so there's been kind of, it's a very kind of, uh, so remember I think about growth policy making in terms of layers of growth policy making. The one is uh, the, the Lisbon agenda where you have this view that if you believe in new growth models like uh, we've been working over the past 20 years, you say, well, it's important to have uh, uh, research and uh, higher education uh, and innovation subsidies to have growth. 
And that's the kind of Lisbon agenda, if you want. And then people have understood increasingly that without structural reforms, uh, for example, product market liberalization, uh, uh, organization of financial systems, uh, 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 labor market liberalization and things, you could not have much going on the first uh, item. Uh, um, and we also talk about edu higher education organization and think that's also part of number two. But then there is a kind of third layer, and that's the one I want to just touch upon today because it's a huge black box and, and, and I will uncover very little of it and it's, uh, I think it will, it's much more difficult to, to look at it. It's the, it's, the, it's the layer of beliefs, trust, and social norms. And in fact, this came very much from, for me, uh, people had started to work around culture, but for me to put it in the kind of a gross context, Context is because you know when advising on the, the French, for example, government, uh, uh, we re realize that in France a big, a lot of problem is is the the, the 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 fact that for example in France people don't trust markets. Uh, in France, employers and employees don't tr don't trust each other, and that a lot uh, of uh, of what makes it difficult to to reform organizations to do number two and therefore number one comes from barriers on number three, you see what I mean? So somehow you have to deal with number three as well if you want to have durable effects on number two and number one. But of course it's more complicated because three will be affected also by what you might be able to do on number one and number two. So, so, so to bring culture into the picture is I think something very important. And then uh, I had a my only conversation with Sarkozy uh, has been on this point, and, and, and in fact, uh, but I'll tell you more when we, uh, when we have uh, moved uh, forward on the, on, the, on the lecture. So uh, now, the, uh, so I'm, not, uh, I'm not the first one to, talk, to think about uh, trust and growth. For example, Easterly and, 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 and Ross Levine had a paper uh, 10 years ago, uh, 12 years ago, that produced cross-country regression showing a negative correlation between et ethnic heterogeneity, which they perceived as being a reflection, a factor of distrust, uh, uh, and growth, uh, the cross-country growth regression. And then, uh, uh, and then you have subsequent work. So for example, uh, in particular the third one, uh, Zach and Knack uh, consider a large sample of 41 countries. And on the horizontal line, what they have is a measure of trust where they use surveys. So we will use a lot this survey, the World Value Survey. And you ask people uh, of uh, different countries all kinds of questions. For example, would you say that most people can be trusted? You would put zero if uh, the answer is that uh, people can be trusted, and one if people say they can't be trusted. So it's a measure of distrust, but you can do it the other way around. And that would be the horizontal line. And the vertical line would look at average annual growth in per capita income in the country. So you have kind of individual surveys. You aggregate them at the level of a country. You get a kind of trust index for a country of a, for a certain wave. Uh, you did that you know, in the 80s or the 90s or the, the 2000s. And, uh, and, and you regress uh, 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 growth on this trust indicator. Okay? And then you get something like this. Uh, uh, that uh, uh, the higher trust, uh, trust is positively correlated with growth. Okay, so that's the uh, that's a cross-country growth regression, and uh, and the question is, of course, there are lots of questions. What are the mechanisms? What what's going behind? What are the causalities? What what explains? You know, is it a causality from trust to growth, from growth to trust? Uh, uh, what are the mechanisms that underlie this uh, this relationship? Okay, so that what we'll try to do a bit is to look at potential channels uh, uh, for, for explaining this kind of relationship. So uh, there have been work, for example, Dobke and, and Zilibotti have a recent paper, which I think is very interesting. What they do is uh, uh, they look, uh, culture for them is the propensity 
to save. You see, so for example, we know savings and can be important for growth or for capital accumulation. And you have countries with high savings rate, countries with low savings rate, and they try to argue that uh, the propensity to save or thriftiness or whatever is something that you get from your parents. Parents invest in transmitting values to their children, and they look at, you know, first they try to really develop models where this happens, and marginally to look at implications for growth and convergence. But so that's a, that's a line of research which uh, I mentioned in the, the, the book I just finished, uh, which is, I think, very interesting, but that's not the one I will be talking about now. The one I will be talking about, because I want to relate it to my three layers, uh, uh, it's based on work I've been doing with uh, two French colleagues, Yann Algon and Pierre Cahuc, and my colleague André Schleifer, and uh, um, where we look at the relationship between various measures of trust or civic education on the one hand, and the extent to which a country's uh, deregulates or want to deregulate product and labor market. Remember, they say it's important for gro growth in a developed economy to deregulate market, and you want to see somehow if you know there is a relationship between that and uh, trust or, or uh, civic education measures. Okay. So, for example, here I will show you a, a, a figure uh, uh, which comes from a previous paper. In fact, from just Kayuk and Algan. Schleifer was not yet on the picture. On the, on the horizontal axis, you have, uh, as before, uh, uh, a trust measure from the World Value Survey with this question, can you trust your neighbor or you cannot trust your neighbor, okay? And, uh, uh, and that's average over three waves of the survey, not two like in the previous regression. And on the uh, uh, vertical axis, I have an index of regulation of minimum wage. So this index is done as follows. You have countries where you have high minimum wage or low minimum wage. So that's one aspect of whether you have regulation or not. But it's not just the level of minimum wage that may matter. It's the stringency of the minimum wage. For example, you have countries like France where you have a statutory minimum wage, the same everywhere. But you have countries where the minimum wage is allowed to vary across uh, ages. So if you have a, a young and a old don't get the same minimum wage, uh, sectors and occupations. So there are more flexible minimum wage. And so we have we constructed a, a measure which uh, uh, which uh, is the product of the level and, and this measure of flexibility of the minimum wage, and we get we call it regulation of minimum wage. And we see that countries which regulate more minimum wage are also countries with higher level of distrust. You see, and countries where you have lower uh, 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 regulation of minimum wage have a, so for example Finland, Sweden, the Scandinavians are here. You see. And uh, who you have at the extreme uh, northeast is France, you see? So, so, so that's where you are. And my view of what we should do in France, if we can, is to try to see can France go from the northeast to the southwest of this picture? You see? So a lot of what we're talking about is to see can we move France? Is there anything that policy can do? Is it a fatality? Is it something we can't co do anything against? Because people will say France is a country of class struggle. You know, uh, the hate between uh, employers and employees will be there forever, like uh, Gaza, whatever. Or you think, you know, that France, you can do something more in, like in Northern Ireland and uh, reconcile the, uh, les, les irréconciliables quoi, and have something where you can somehow move more towards the Scandinavian way of doing things. And that's, that's what I will be uh, uh, talking about a lot. So, uh, um, so, the, the, so now I'll talk about uh, the, this paper in particular, where we, 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 in fact, what we do in this paper, the first thing we do is that we say, well, it's true for labor market and trust, but you can look at other aspects, like product market. You can look also at court formalism. You can look at other aspects of regulation than just pro uh, product market regulation. 
uh, labor market regulation. So, so, uh, uh, so we try to do three things there. Uh, uh, the first thing is that we, we, we try to develop a model and to do document more about cross-country positive correlation between stringency of government regulation and distrust. So we show that this uh, positive correlation we show you saw for the minimum wage goes beyond that. It's true for product market regulation, court formalism, and other aspects of regulation. Uh, um, and then we try to develop a model, but when I say a model compared to yesterday, you'll see it's very, very, what we say in uh, the terminology is Mickey Mouse model, you see? It's a, so it's a Mickey Mouse model uh, just to organize our thinking. So it's really a way to organize our thinking and where we, we in fact, uh, uh, um, generate multiple equilibria. Uh, you have an equilibrium where you have distrust and distrust induces regulation, but regulation also induces uh, discourages investment in trust, you see, until so you have the two-way causality. And so you have the bad equilibrium where you have uh, high distrust, uh, high regulation countries there. And then you have another equilibrium where you have, uh, uh, where you have uh, uh, the uh, 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 high trust and low regulation. And, and, uh, and uh, we will see that you can, have, you can generate Sweden and France as a, a, a different equilibria, you see, of, a, of a otherwise similar model. Okay, so that's the first thing we do. And, uh, and a byproduct of the model uh, will be to explain why is it, and that's a very something we will see in the data, because there is a kind of enigma that will pop out. And, and, uh, and the enigma is that when the, you look at countries where you have uh, high corruption or, 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 or relatively low trust, and you ask in this country, and also low trust not only in other people, but low trust in government, low trust in justice, low trust in parliament, and you ask people in these countries, would you, would you want more regulations? And they say yes. So that means they want, uh, they want more regulation which are enforced by people who are the, you know, whom they distrust. How come? How come you ask for more regulation in, uh, in, uh, the, to be, in fact, in the hands of, of, of government officials whom you know will uh, bribe you? If I will ask you to pay bribes, or you bribe them, but they will take bribes. That's what I mean. <laughs> that's right. That's the way. They, will, they are sensitive to bribes. That's what I mean. Okay, so that's a kind of uh, question that uh, we want to, to understand. So you have uh, all kinds of literature on that, and I don't want to, to go through this literature because you'll, get, you'll fall asleep uh, by the time I go to the uh, second line. Uh, so uh, uh, what I will, uh, so, so, so really what we do is this. I mean, we want to document and explain the two-way relationship between distress and the role of, of government in the economy, and why is it that people in countries with bad governments want more government intervention, okay? So, uh, so the outline of the lecture will be as follows. I will first show you some data and correlation between distress and regulation, okay? So just to motivate you, to warm you up a bit. Hmm? And then I will go through, can I say, a model, but you see, really compared to yesterday, you will laugh. Huh? You say, it's really a very simple model. It's just a way of organizing thinking. And then uh, the model will have three predictions, and uh, 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 one prediction will be, uh, uh, and so the, the correlation, but I will try then to provide empirical evidence that explains things that the model, that the model uh, 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 pre predicts. So it will predict this multiple equilibria, it will predict that uh, people want more regulation in countries where you have more corruption and less trust, but also it will predict something about transition economies. It will say if you start from a low level of trust and you deregulate, you might think that that would bring you towards the Swedish equilibrium, but in fact it will bring you towards the French equilibrium. Trust will go down by more. And we will uh, look at the experience of transition economies 
uh, to see that in fact uh, EBRD and uh, we look at the transition economies to see that's exactly what's happening in transition economies. So we might be, maybe one day if you see more regulation in transition economies, you will remember this lecture, ah, the, the guy had predicted it, but maybe, uh, and uh, that's, uh, so that's, that's what I want to do. Okay, so, so now I start. Uh, uh, I want first to show you correlations between distrust and regulation. So how we measure distrust? So we have uh, world value surveys for 1980, 1990, and 2000, and you ask people questions. Generally speaking, would you say that most people can be trusted or that you need to be careful in dealing with people? Okay, so uh, that would be a question. Do you think that it's justifiable to cheat on government benefits? That, that's a measure of uncivicness. And then there is a question that has to do with distrust in institutions. Do you have confidence in major companies? Do you have question, uh, uh, confidence in unions? Do you have confidence in parliament, in legal system, in civil servants, in justice system? And that's the institution's uh, type. And we will look at all those guys as our trust or civicness measures, okay? So that's on the trust side. But now remember that I want to look at the regulation side. So I will look at product market regulation. So for example, one way to measure the extent to which you deregulate is to ask how many uh, uh, administrative barriers firms have to face when they want to open, you know, when an entrepreneur wants to start a new firm, how many days it takes him on average to get the, to get the green light, okay? So that's the kind of Jankov, Schleifer, et al had a measure uh, of this, uh, uh, but you, we, we use also another one, which is the frequency of price control by the state, and that's another index of uh, regulation of product market, which also works equally well to this one. So, see, so you can use various measures. You could use also just straight product market competition, but we don't really to use the idea that you, you have kind of regulation uh, uh, index, okay? So that's the product market regulation. But you also have labor market regulation. So labor market regulation, you have an employment rigidity index, uh, by Botero et al, not the painter, another one. And the index aggregates three areas. So difficulty of hiring, uh, uh, rigidity of hours, difficulty of firing. So that makes, a, an, uh, you use that and you make an index called employment rigidity index. But we also use the, the index of state regulation of minimum wage, as I showed before, as another index of regulation on the labor market. And then you have something called court formalism. Uh, you know, the idea that are you more like the French, we are very formalist. Uh, although now Sarkozy is making it more informal, uh, which means essentially I substitute to the judge. He wants to be everybody. He wants to be a prime minister. He wants to be the he wants to be the speaker on the television. Now he wants to be the judge as well. So I don't know if that's speaking that we are more formal or less formal. Uh, depends on the, on the personality of the guy. But uh, the formalism of the legal procedures uh, is another measure of uh, regulation. And we look at the maximum sample of 57 countries. So look at this. Uh, that's trust and uh, uh, distrust and regulation of product market, and that's a cross-country regression, and you see there is a positive correlation, and, uh, and you have a, a, a highly positive correlation between the two, okay? And you can see that you always have, uh, 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 at the low end, you have the Nordic, okay? They have low regulation of entry and high trust, but France, uh, uh, you see France, uh, uh, Mediterranean countries, Latin American countries, are on the uh, upper end, upper, uh, you see, uh, the high distrust and low and, uh, and high regulation, okay? So now, regulation of labor market, same thing. You see, in the same countries, essentially, uh, uh, the, well, Finnish, Norway, it's true, these ones are a bit above and, uh, the, the, the main line, but they are still on the low distrust and, and relatively uh, lower uh, uh, rigidity of employment whereas you would see 
countries like France typically being more uh, to the right uh, hand. Uh, um, alors, it's true that uh, Norway, Sweden, in a, in a, to some extent, are a bit above here. When you look at regression minimum wage, they are more uh, together with the line. So here, for some reason, they are more rigid vis-à-vis -vis certain things, but minimum wage, they are less. So that's interesting to, to just notice that. And there is the distrust and court formalism, and there again, you have a positive correlation between uh, trust and court uh, formalism, and uh, I think it should be distrust there, I think. Yeah, distrust, not trust. This is, there is a typo there. Uh, so, so that tells you a bit about the, the and there is another one, is distrust in, uh, uh, in justice. So for example, so far, I showed, uh, uh, I showed, um, yeah. So now what we do here is that we show tables, so we show regression. So here, what you have is that you look uh, at uh, distrust measure and, uh, uh, and, uh, and the regulation, and, and that's the, the, the regression corresponding to the previous lines that you saw. And you saw that you know in each type, in each time you have uh, statistically significant correlations, and uh, you control for education, uh, log of population, log of GDP per capita. We also checked for effects of democracy and ethnic fractionalization, and none of these variables are statistically significant once you put trust in the regression. Uh, so that's the uh, so that's what you get from this. So you see you, you see this very uh, uh, this very. Um, but the, the, the next thing that I will show you is that the distrust is not just uh, distrust in others, it's also distrust uh, in, 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 the, in the institution. So you see, for example, here I put regulation of product market and uh, I regress on the, the uh, distrust uh, successively on distrust in institution. And you can see that you have positive correlations between each of those. So you, you typically you have more regulation in countries that distrust more also institutions. And that's the thing which was a puzzle for us. How come you want more? How come you have more regulation in situations where uh, uh, you have more uh, uh, distrust? Or maybe you could say because the government imposed the regulation on you, even if you don't want it, and uh, to increase by party, especially because he wants to bribe you, and without the regulation, he could not bribe you. So the government would impose the regulation on you to be able to bribe. But we will see that there is more to that. In fact, that people demand regulation in these countries. So that's, uh, that's what will be the thing. For the moment, you can't see that because you just see the equilibrium outcome, but we will get into demand for regulation uh, 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 later on. You see, but that's, uh, that's uh, kind of striking, this positive correlation between regulation and uh, uh, distrust in institutions, okay? So uh, now I move to the model now. So the model is, ever, is uh, again, I want to explain three things, in fact. I said two, but it's three. I want to explain the interplay between distrust and regulation. So is it causality in both directions, what's going on, the multiple equilibria? I want to explain why people with bad governments want more government intervention. And I want to explain, third thing, why in low-trust economies, like, like, like the socialist economies were, once you deregulate them, instead of moving towards more trust, you moved, in fact, towards less trust and more demand for regulation in these countries. And I want to explain, I, the model will generate that, and I will, of course, then go back to the data and show that uh, the, you know, the data that we have at least suggests that, this is, uh, that the predictions of the model are borne by the data, okay? So the main features of the model I will show, so just to put you in appetite, people choose whether to become civic or uncivic. Okay, so the idea is that at the beginning of your life, uh, here you could say parents and children, but here you live for one period, and we don't have parents and children, but you can turn that into a parent-children story. You choose whether to become civic or non-civic. So uh, civic or non-civic, think of non-civic 
you know, like uh, on civic is a kind of, ma you know, family type of uh, civic. You are civic within the family, but you are not civic outside the family. You see, like what you teach in the mafias. You teach to be civic inside, but not civic outside. And civic, what I call civic here, is that you are civic with the anonymous. You're, you learn how to be good even with people who are not your brother and your sister. Okay, so that's two ways of learning about uh, civicness. So, uh, uh, so then what you do is that uh, uh, the third thing is that uh, the, the second feature is that productive activities generate negative externalities if people are on civic. So that would be a model where when you are on civic, you pollute, okay? You, you exert bad externalities on others. Either you pollute the others, you make noise, you make them less productive, you, uh, uh, you produce goods of bad quality and they go to indigestion, or you reduce their la life expectancy, or, or you don't pay tax, and that has a negative externality on the rest, okay? So, so that's what I will be interested. And then you have the, and then the, the fourth thing is that regulation requires official whose trustworthiness reflects that of society. So the, the idea is that you, you can vote a regulation, but to enforce it, you need government officials. And some of them are civic, and some of them are uncivic in a fraction which reflects the fraction of civic and uncivic people in society. Okay, so that's the, the features of the model that uh, we are talking about here. So, uh, um, so the, there is a continuum uh, of, uh, of risk-neutral individuals Individuals are producers during the day, and they serve as public officials at night. Uh, um, so there are two different moral values. You can have limited uh, morality, that's what I call uncivic, or generalized morality, you see? And whether you are civic or uncivic is private information, and I denote by alpha, you see? That's, uh, I will, uh, that's my only use of Greek in this whole model, okay? The share of, of civic individuals in society, but of course you don't know, you, you, since you, we all choose to be civic or uncivic at the same time, we don't know exactly what alpha is. We can have expectations and rational expectations on it, but we don't exactly observe it because we don't know what the other one uh, are, are doing in terms of civic and non-civic investment. I experience someone, and I, then I find out if he's civic or non-civic. Okay, so that's the, that's the thing. Now the production, the production is as follows. You have what we call routine workers, and routine workers produce an output which I normalize at zero. You see how simple it is? But then on top of that, I can become an entrepreneur, provided I'm allowed to produce as an entrepreneur. If I'm allowed to produce as an entrepreneur, I produce an additional Y. But Y is not the same for everybody. You have, uh, uh, it's drawn from a uniform distribution between zero and one. You have the very unproductive with Y close to zero, and you have the very the productive with Y close to one, and in fact, you can have any range of productive and unproductive between zero and one, okay? And, and in addition, civic entrepreneurs get an additional utility epsilon that can be as small as you want, it's just to break ties. And uh, uh, there are various ways to justify epsilon. It can be interpreted as a small private benefit. For example, uh, if producers require cooperation, uh, production requires cooperation between individuals over time, then you get an additional epsilon. Or for example, you are a civic individual, uh, and suppose there is some probability you, someone would come and even if you, and you produce and would stop expose your production, you are less likely to be stopped exposed if you are civic than if you are uncivic. You see what I mean? And th that would be the kind of epsilon that I'm putting here. Okay, so now uh, uh, the uncivic individuals, let's look at uncivic and civic individuals in more detail. The uncivic individuals, they impose negative externality, which I call small e, per individual when they produce. And the other thing bad they have is that they demand bribes when serving as officials, you see? And, uh, uh, and also they are, uh, they are happy when they are producers to ask for production in exchange for bribes. So there, there are three things about them. They impose negative externality when they produce. 
They demand bribes when they serve as officials, and when they serve as producers, as entrepreneurs, they may be ready to bribe an official to get the right to produce. That's a non-civic guy. Then you have the civic guys, they exert no externality in production, they, are, they, are, they never accept a bribe when they serve as officials, and they don't pay bribe in exchange for the permission to produce when they are producers, okay? That's the difference. Okay, so now uh, 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 the regulation. So the regulation is something that the society votes. The society can vote whether we or not we want regulation. Because I'm very interested, when I talk to Sarkozy, remember always my dialogue with Sarkozy, I tell Sarkozy, look, if you don't have trust in society, and you have a lot of distress, tomorrow people may ask for new regulations. You are deregulating today, but tomorrow people may vote for regulation. So there is here a vote for regulation. And the regulation, in fact, uh, 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 either you vote for authorizing uh, 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 production, and in that case there is no regulation, and in that case you don't need officials to enforce the regulation because there is no regulation voted, or you vote for a regulation, uh, in which case production is legally forbidden, and then you have officials that make sure that it is, but of course the uncivic officials can be bribed, and they can say, well, produce, you know, uh, no problem, I've closed my eyes, hmm? and the regulation is enforced by officials. So the regulatory rules uh, is, is uh, the civic officials, as I said before, will always enforce the rule. The uncivic officials ignore the rule, they authorize production, if only if a certain bribe is paid, and we'll see how they set the bribe, hmm? okay? So the timing of events is as follows. First, individuals choose their type in every period, and some other, you know, but I look at one period. Individuals choose their type of education, civic or uncivic. Then people vote for authorization uh, uh, or regulation, whether you, you should pro prohibit production or you should not prohibit production. And then uh, uh, all people produce if there is no regulation. In case of regulation, we know already, I'm repeating all the time, but then now you should know by now, Civic officials implement the regulatory rule. On civic officials authorize production by anyone who pays the bribe. And civic producers never pay bribes and abstain from production. On civic producers pay the bribe and produce with negative externality if the bribe is not, not always, they pay the bribe if the bribe is not uh, higher than their productivity. The low Y guys will not produce because if, uh, if Y is less than the bribe, okay? But the high uh, Y guys will produce. So now that's the model. You see, it's not too complicated. Huh? There is no uh, exponents, complicated things. There will be exponents, but uh, not, not complicated. So now I, I solve the model, okay? So solution of the model. So that's a game, okay? And I can solve by backward induction. So it's a, uh, uh, and, and uh, so I first consider step three, and then I move back, okay? So I look at the stage where, you, you suppose that uh, uh, you are at step three. So remember, step one, people choose to be civic or civic. Step two, people vote for either regulation or no regulation. And step three, it's this step, is whether, you know, the bribe setting. Mm -hmm. So uh, step three, if in step two, individuals voted for no regulation, then everybody produces in step three. And that's, that's it. I mean, that's easy in that case. What's interesting is what happened in step three when you voted for a regulation in step two. So suppose you voted for regulation in step two, and now you are, uh, uh, you are an official and you are a non-civic guy. Well, I have a non-civic guy, so I know that with probability one minus alpha, I will, I will face a non-civic, to be non-civic, not non-civic, producer. The, uh, uh, now, uh, 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 if I set a bribe, I get B times this in expected terms, but of course I get bribes only from people who have uh, uh, Y greater than B, but remember that Y is uniformly distributed between zero and one, 
So the probability that uh, so the, the probability that y is greater than b is just one minus b. You see, and that's so you just maximize this expected return. If you set too high a bribe, uh, you have very few producers that that will that will want to pay the bribe. So that's the way you want the bribe too high. If you set the bribe too low, it's not good either. And in fact, with this, you set the bribe exactly in between at one half. Okay, and that's so that you strike the right balance between. You know, having enough people paying the bribe and getting a bribe, which is not uh, ridiculously low. Okay, so, so that's how your bribe is set, it's one half. So now you start, at, you, you go back to the decision to whether or not to regulate. So you look at, uh, so, the, so in fact the society will go for regulation whenever the aggregate output, the aggregate utility from the regulation is bigger than from no regulation. And you can derive, if you've done some political economy, you know that uh, with the uh, <coughs> medium voter model, uh, uh, you can generate, in fact, you can generate that with a random voting uh, uh, model. You can, you can generate exactly uh, this uh, outcome. Voting is assumed to lead to socially preferred policy. For example, if you have a probabilistic voting model. So if you have a probabilistic voting model, you would generate that as a, as a voting rule. So I just look at the aggregate. So look, let's look at aggregate output net of externalities if you have regulation or no regulation. So if you have no regulation, you know that uh, uh, people are uniformly distributed in terms of productivity between zero and one. So you just take the average productivity, okay? Uh, uh, minus, you know that one minus alpha fraction of individuals will be uncivic and therefore will impose a, a negative externality E. So the, 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 the A, so the, the, that's why you have uh, A minus, uh, so that's why you have this one minus alpha E there. So that's the, uh, that's the aggregate output net of externalities when you allow production, when you don't vote regulation. Now when you vote regulation, uh, what happens is the following, is that the principle, if you had no corruption in, in, the, in, the, in, the, in society, you should have zero because there'll be no production, no production, no externality. But in fact, there will be production because you have uncivic producers meeting uncivic uh, uh, civil servants. So what is the probability that a non-civic official meets a non-civic civil servant is one minus alpha times one minus alpha. Uh, you need the coincidence, no? We need to be both bad guys, no? That's one minus alpha square, the probability. And now, uh, uh, the, the, when, when this happens, what will happen is that only those individuals with y greater than the bribe one half will produce so that will be the production net of uh, net of uh, per individual who accept net of externalities. You see, so when you, you start, you get this, which is a negative number. But this number is not always lower than the other one. In fact, you can compare the two expressions, and you get this. You get this figure. You see, so it all goes there. And now you have. A, you will already see how the model works. So uh, uh, the model works as follows. So here you see that's the uh, that's the a that's the the, the straight line is uh, as a function of alpha. So so alpha is the share of educated individuals. So low trust societies are with alpha there. High trust societies are with alpha there. Okay, and uh, uh, and then what you have is that uh, is that uh, uh, you see that for low levels of alpha, in fact, it's better to regulate than not regulate, even though there are bribes paid. Why is that bet bigger? Because it's true that you have corruption. It's true that the uncivic officials let some producers produce. But at least those with Y less than one half don't produce. So they bar production by the low productivity people. It's true that they want the high productivity guys to get runs from them. But at least to get these runs from the other one, they prevent others from producing. 
And that is of such high value when you have a very low level of trust. So that's why the, the R curve is above the A curve for low values of alpha. And of course, then it cross, and for, for high value of alpha, R is always negative, whereas A becomes positive, you see? And you see you have an alpha star there, you see? So the, typically what will be interesting is to distinguish when you start from an alpha which is less than alpha star, and I call that a low trust society, okay? And when I start from an alpha greater than alpha star, which I call a high trust society, okay? And uh, yeah, if you have that picture in mind, you already get the model. You, 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 this will deliver the whole predictions. This picture, so just try to look at this picture, try to, because everything is there, everything is there, okay? Of course, when will you vote for, for uh, uh, A, so whenever alpha is greater than alpha star, you vote for no regulation, and, and when alpha is less than alpha star, you vote for regulation, okay? So that's, the, that's, the, that's step two. Now I go back to step one, and you look at the, exp I am a guy, I'm an individual, I don't know my, I don't know yet my why, okay? So I, I and suppose you decide uh, whether you become educated or not before you know your productivity. And you ask yourself, you know, should I become uh, or not civic? Alors, of course, it all depends if you anticipate, uh, if you anticipate uh, a regulation to be voted at stage two or not, because you know that things will not be the same. So if you anticipate no regulation in step two, and you decide to become civic, you get the average y, because you, y is uniformly distributed between zero and one, so on average, your y is one half, plus epsilon, which is my little plus of being civic, minus, uh, you know, that you get the externality one minus alpha e, so that's your expected utility of being civic, uh, when you expect uh, no regulation. But if you expect regulation, of course, you expect that, it will be th that you will not be authorized to produce, and therefore, yeah, you just get, uh, along there, what you get is uh, why you get this expression there, because it's, uh, uh, you get the, the minus alpha square, which is the probability that uh, uh, a non-civic individual producer meets a non-civic uh, civic servant, okay, which pays a bribe, and that's one minus alpha square over two, because only half of the producer pays a bribe conditional upon this double coincidence, okay, times the E, and that's where it comes from, okay? Now, if you become on civic and you expect no regulation, you have the same as before, except that you don't have the epsilon. But what's interesting is what you get there. So that's the only expression, I just have to tell you two words about it. You get this expression, which is a bit more complicated, but it has very simple interpretation. This part is the part that you get, if I, if I decide to be on civic, with some probability, one minus alpha, I will be I will be producing, but, uh, but only if I have a y greater than one half, I will truly produce. So this is, a, 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 this is in fact y minus alpha times the, uh, y minus one half, the expectation of that, given that your y is greater than one half. And that gives you one eighth, actually. You see, because you know the bribe, you anticipate the bribe of one half. So that's, that's your expected gain from being a producer. You see, with some probability, I'll be a producer which can produce because I will face uh, uh, an entrepreneur, uh, 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 a civil servant who is, uh, who is uh, on civic, and that's what I get from it. This part is the part that you get from being a civil servant who will meet a non-civic producer, you see, and therefore can, can get the bribe. So the probability that being a non-civic guy, you meet a non-civic producer, it's one minus alpha, but then you have to multiply by the fact that you get the one half bribe only from producers which have uh, 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 y greater than one half, which is only half of the producers, and that's why you get one half times one half, and that's the one fourth. So that's what you get from the prospect of being a non-civic producer, that's the, 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 what you get from the prospect of being a non-civic civil servant. And you know that you do one at daytime and one at nighttime, you see? 
and that's the negative externality as before uh, uh, from, from this. So, so that's, the, that, that's the thing. So that's the decision to be civic or uncivic. So now we have everything in a model. Now that's it. That, uh, you, no more mass. Now we just reason. Okay? So now we say, okay, suppose that you anticipate that alpha will be less than alpha star. So then if alpha is less than alpha star, people then anticipate that there will be regulation or no regulation? Regulation. So they anticipate regulation. Okay. So, uh, uh, so if they anticipate regulation, they say, well, I anticipate, going back to before, that I have to compare between... Uh, uh, oh, it's a pity I don't have a beamer um, today. It was nice before. Before it was... Uh, with the, yeah, we... we so uh, can I do this? No, I cannot do this. We don't have a stick there. You can jump. This I can't, I can't. I'm too, I'm too short. Yeah. No. Uh, no, it's okay. But you see what I mean. I mean, you, so you get, you see that, of course, if you anticipate regulation to be voted, you prefer to be on civic because you get, in addition, one eight of one minus alpha plus one four of one minus alpha. Okay? So in that case, if you, alpha is, if you anticipate an alpha less than alpha star, everybody will decide, in fact, to become on civic and alpha will be, in fact, equal to zero. So in fact, the only stable rational expectation equilibrium, that's the jargon, for those of you who are not in economics, it's to forget about this, the only stable equilibrium there is uh, conditional on, on, not on, on thinking that there will be regulation, is alpha equals zero. So, so in that case, you get uh, uh, alpha, uh, the, the, only, the one self-fulfilling equilibrium where you have alpha less than alpha star is alpha equals zero and regulation. That's the French equilibrium, okay? And then, now, suppose now that you, the expectation is that alpha is greater than alpha star. So you expect, you anticipate there will be no regulation. So if you anticipate that there will be no regulation, you go back to the previous slide, and you compare the first line with the third line. And you see that, of course, you would prefer to be civic because you get the additional epsilon. So it means that in that case, everybody will decide to become civic, and therefore alpha equal one. And that will be the corresponding stable equilibrium, okay? So that the model can explain, the negative can explain Sweden, the coexistence of Sweden and France, okay? We can explain the above negative correlation between trust and regulation. High trust countries are also countries with low regulation. And uh, uh, in French, we have an expression, we say vice versa. We say uh, lycée de Versailles. It's a stupid uh, way to say it. Okay, so, uh, so that, that's uh, the prediction. The first prediction is this correlation, this multiple equilibria. You can have Sweden and France, okay? But now you have addition, additional prediction, is that, uh, I, as I mentioned before, and we'll go back to the model. Distrust drives the demand for regulation. In low trust society, in fact, in the alpha equals zero society, or low alpha, I know that the government is corrupt because there will be corruption there. I know the, the government will be corrupt. There is a big incentive to become uncivic, and therefore you will have corrupt civil servants. Yet, it prevents negative externalities by unproductive. Yet, I know that my uncivic guys, my uncivic civil servants, they set the bribe by one half, they prevent production from, from the low productivity guys. So in fact, uh, uh, that's what's interesting. So they have a social role also there, you see, even though they are corrupt. And, you know, and there is another thing also which is interesting. In a low trust society, think of alpha equals zero, which is, uh, which is there, huh? uh, uh, the, or low alpha. What happens is that uh, uh, even though regulators are corrupt, society wants more regulation and further restriction on entry. In fact, what you would like to do, you see, is if you are there, it's a real pity I don't have the beamer today. Oh, God. Uh, I, I should want to go from, suppose I, I start from there, or I'm there. 
I would want to move to the horizontal line. How would you move to the horizontal? By saying all production is totally forbidden. You would demand more enforcement of regulation. That's why you have demand of regulation in this low trust. Because you would like to move from here to the horizontal line, you see? Uh, that's the second prediction of the, uh, of the model, okay? And then there is another one, which is educational values such as tolerance and selfishness are negatively correlated with distrust and regulation. When, you, when, when there is high regulation, you don't invest, uh, uh, you don't invest in, in, uh, you know, in certain kind of values. So that's the other thing that came from the model, okay? But uh, now there is another one, and that's the one of transition. So, uh, and I say, well, you know, suppose, uh, I would like to explain the thing, transition from central planning to market economy. How would you represent that? So I move to the same thing, but I, I just put this P and P prime. So what would be, how could you represent central, uh, central planning? You could represent central planning by saying we forbid any kind of entrepreneurship. So if you forbid any kind of entrepreneurship, then what happens is that you get zero. Okay, you start from point P, for example, low, low level of trust and, uh, uh, and, and no entrepreneurship at all. So you start from P. Now you decide to do transition in Russia, okay? So you are in Russia, Russia, so Soviet Union is at P. And then you do uh, Gorbachev Yeltsin, and that brings you to P prime, okay? And what happens in this, in fact, is that the transition, what it did is to allow private entry but it relied on expensive and, and, and often corrupt regulation. So what you do is that now entry is allowed, but of course corruption will be increased. So you move to P prime now. And what, you, what the model predicts is that at P prime, uh, corruption rises, of course, and people demand more regulation because you want to go back to P. So you move to P prime, and as a, as a result, you've moved the demand, for, you've increased the demand for regulation. And we'll see that, that what's happening. But there is another thing, is that you don't stay at this alpha there you will move to alpha equals zero. Because if you move on this equilibrium, this is unstable. You move to, in fact, alpha equals zero. So what will happen in this country is that you will di divest in social capital. You will, uh, trust will go down. People will invest even less in social capital. And that's the, that's the prediction that you have. So unless, unless you have incentives to invest in social capital separately, you are moving the society towards lower trust and lower investment in social capital. And the whole question there is that, can you deregulate and do other things at the same time to prevent this perverse effect. You see, so a very stupid vision of the first regression I would have given you would have been to say, ah, you have Sweden versus France, so that's very easy. Deregulate France, and you move to Sweden. But that's not true. You may move, to the, you may move to the, in the other direction. You may need something else. And my view between you and me, so I don't know, Tony Giddens used to be uh, the director of the LSE, and why do I like Tony Giddens? Because I think Tony Giddens tells me that somehow the third way is to say, well, you want to deregulate, but you want to do something else. And the something else is what precisely will prevent this kind of movement. And that's my interpretation, you see. That's my graphical, of course, there is much more in Tony Giddens. But uh, uh, I think my, at least one of the things I, I get from Tony Giddens is that you, uh, that way I could, I could tell the story. You say you want social capital, you want some other things, like the, the Scandinavian, they invested heavily in human capital. They invested heavily in facilitating trust between social partners. They did other things that would make the deregulation not having this kind of, uh, of perverse effect, you see? So I think that you really talk about the making of society there. Okay, I don't want to look like Obama, let's remake America and all that. Okay, so, uh, so now we have these predictions. Let's look whether they are born by the data, okay? Or now it's say, well, if you hate value surveys, you should leave the room right now because it all relies on value surveys, I'm huh? sorry. And uh, that's what we have, that's what we use. Um, 
So what we want to do, the first thing we want to do is to say, I would like to say, well, I would like to know whether distrust increases the demand for regulation. That you, why is it that you observe more regulation with uh, more distrust? It also reflects the fact that you have this demand. You want to go from P prime to P, and I want to get evidence of that. So uh, we have this data in the World Value Survey. We have data on political support of regulation. So for example, you have questions like this. Uh, do you think competition is good? Uh, or, or do you think it's bad and it brings the worst in people? So uh, the lower score, one, indicates higher level of distrust of competition, than uh, high, uh, high level of trust in competition. Government should give freedom uh, to firm or control firm. Again, between one and 10, the higher score, the stronger support for government intervention. Government or individuals should take more responsibility uh, 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 so if you think it's government, it has maximum score. If you think it's individual, it has lower score. In democracy, does the system economic runs necessarily badly? So again, there you might think democracy is good or bad. It's very interesting to ask the Russians. You, are you happy with Putin? Uh, or do you want more democracy? You see, it's a, it's a very fair question. I mean, isn't Putin an outcome of the, I don't want to justify Putin, but you know, you, if there is an issue there, uh, the average Russian guy, how would he answer the question? Hmm? So uh, uh, on the role of government, uh, you can go more in detail. There is the, the ISSP survey, which is International Social Survey Program, and it looks more, it compiles surveys devoted each year to different specific topics, religion, social networks, role of government. And here I look at role of government. It's carried in 91 and in 96, and I average over the two. And for example, here is a list of potential government action for the economy. Control prices by law, control wage by law. Do you think it's good or bad? Do you think electricity should be run by government or private companies? Should you think, do you think that hospitals should be run by government or private companies? Do you think that banks, well, that's of course, uh, that of course the answer, now, uh, now we forget the last uh, question because I guess now, uh, if I ask that in England, everybody, will, we know the answer will be since uh, partly yesterday, no? But uh, uh, so the, the, that's funny, no? But, uh, the, uh, so, so the, uh, so the, um, so now what you have here is that we look at these guys, okay? And you see that countries where you have higher level of distrust are also countries where uh, people more, uh, more numerous to think government should control wage by law. So there is really a demand for regulation. And uh, you can look at all the other things and do uh, diagrams like this. But now I show you a regression and, uh, that, that has all the things. So here I look at various measures of distrust on the, on the column. Distrust others, distrust legal system, distrust civil servants, distrust companies. And then you, you get the answers to how many people believe that competition is harmful. And you see that everywhere you have positive and significant correlations. The more there is distrust, not either in other individuals or in institutions, the more you think competition is harmful, the more you think government should control uh, firms, the more you think government should take responsibility, and the more you're against democracy, you see? And, uh, and that's, uh, uh, that's what you get from here. So now I go to the second uh, thing, which is the transition. Okay, you remember my thing. And uh, uh, you are in a transition, you start from a low, how long do I have? Minus how much? <laughs> we, we normally finish by eight and you've still got 35 minutes. Oh yeah, no, but in the talk, yeah, but I think. But we need yeah. a few questions. We need questions. Yeah. Okay, so, uh, um, so here I remember, you remember it's a transition economy, I want to say the story. Suppose you have a, uh, a socialist economy that start from low alpha, but you could tell me, who tells you they start from low alpha? Maybe your, your socialist economy started from a high alpha. Then you have to explain to me they start from a low alpha. 
And then I said, you liberalize, and you have certain things happening with like uh, increase in distrust, demand for regulation, and increase in corruption, okay? So I want to make my case that that's what happened. So again, I go back to the World Value Survey. There is another uh, survey called LITS, L-I-T-S, by the EBRD. And we use, and we did, we use also this other data set, and, and we get very similar results, but you're just using the world value or the leads, okay? So uh, there is much, and in the paper that's uh, the support for this talk, we have a number of regressions run on the, using the leads uh, 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 data set. So we compare attitude uh, uh, toward regulation, corruption, social capital between two waves uh, of uh, the value survey, 1990-2000. So, uh, uh, and you ask a question on corruption, do you think corruption can be justified or not? And uh, uh, or should you think it's good or bad, you know, it's okay to accept a bribe? So you have measure of corruption on those grounds, and we'll get back to that. So, uh, but what we do here, the first thing we do here is to get a, 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 a is to see how uh, uh, the fact of being a transition economy affects distrust. And that's a regression of distrust on the, on the dummy, one zero. It's one, the dummy, if you, are a if you build transition economy in 1990 or if you not be. And you see that in 1990, you have more distrust, whether a country is, is in transition compared to other countries in the survey you have higher level of distrust, you see? So, so typically, uh, transition economies are to the left of the average country, you see what I mean? Uh, the probability of distrusting others rises by 16.9% when the respondent is living in a transition instead of an OECD country. The probability of distrusting companies raises by 15.1 percentage points if the, uh, if the person lives in a transition economy instead of an OECD. And the effects are statistically significant at the 1% level. So that's big thing. Here what we do is something a bit different. We look across not just transition as a whole, we look among transition economies. And what we do as a kind of jargon econometrics, it's uh, we do a kind of, uh, uh, we do a, a, an individual level regression on tr of trust on individual characteristics, age, education, gender, income, political affiliation, and the country fixed effect. And what we capture here is the coefficient on the country fixed effect. The fact of being in certain country, does it make you distrust more or less? And so it's the fixed effect that we use here to compare distrust, uh, additional distrust. So the, the, the zero level is Sweden. So the, the, I take Sweden as a, as a benchmark. And you see that the, the previous socialist economy, and that's, I'm still in 1990, so I'm still at the alpha zero, at the alpha in 1990. Huh? And uh, you see that, of course, transition economies have much more distrust in 1990 than, uh, the, than the other OECD countries, particularly the, the Scandinavian countries. Okay, so really, I am in a region of low alpha. Huh? Remember my diagram? Uh, remember my diagram uh, when I had, uh, oh, I went the wrong way here. Uh, remember my diagram? I'm really starting from a low alpha. That's what, I'm, what these two figures, the stable and the figure say. Your uh, transition started from a low alpha level, okay? So now we start from there, okay? So now you know where the alpha is. And now I look at the experiment going from P to P prime. And I want to argue that the data reflects this, okay? So now what I look at is, uh, 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 is the transition, is, uh, I, look be, I compare between the, the trust in 1990 and 2000 whether, uh, uh, whether you are a country which is OECD, that would be the first row, or whether you are a transition economy. And being a transition economy, you see, what, what, what happens there is that, in, in fact, uh, uh, so what's, what's interesting is that the first row is OECD. So between 1990 and 2000, you see that the distrust in others have not changed much in OECD country. Not, uh, but in civil servants has declined. So in OECD countries, we have reduced the distrust for civil servants 
uh, uh, between 1990 and 2000. But you see now that when you are a transition economy, the thing is exactly reversed. Distrust has increased between 1990, which is the onset of transition, and 2000, you see? So, uh, so, so in fact, starting from a low alpha, you see that alpha has gone down further. That's exactly what I was saying. You start from a low alpha and, and liberalization, uh, you see, uh, the, the transition, what happened in the transition uh, has lowered the, uh, has lowered the, uh, the alpha, okay? So that's what I'm getting uh, from this, uh, from this uh, uh, thing. So that, that's the first thing I said, you know, uh, human capital, uh, social capital going down, trust goes down, and that's what we, it seems consistent with this. Now this one is another one, is that you want to know about the demand for regulation. Has the demand for regulation gone up as a result of transition, as the model predicts? And the answer is yes, because you see, in OECD country, the fact of being in transition, as, alors it's funny that uh, on co competition is harmful even in OECD countries. More people believe that competition is harmful today than 10 years ago. But it's much more important in transition countries. And, when, and instead of should government run business, you have a much big, a big, significant increase in the share of people in transition economies in 2000 that says, you know, you should, you should have the government run, run things. You see, so that's, uh, that's in fact, uh, that implies if you rescale the, 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 the variables, you know, the, between one and zero, the probability of, of, delice, uh, of disliking competition has increased by 30% over the 90s in transition economies, and the support for government ownership of uh, uh, business has increased by 35% in transition economies between 1990 and 2000, which is enormous. Although you can look also at the education row. You see, uh, uh, that, that, that tells you that, of course, people less educated are more likely to want uh, to, to have increased their demand for regulation. You see, because the, the, the less educated are less protected by transition. Of course, those guys also want even more. But even abstracting and correcting for that, you still have the average guy wanting more regulation. Of course, the, not, the less educated, the more vulnerable, want even more regulation than the less vulnerable. You see? Okay, so uh, the rise in corruption, uh, remember we measure corruption, do you think bribes are good or bad? And again, a uh, 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 rise in corruption, you see that, uh, you know, between 1990 and 2000, uh, in OECD countries, uh, we think it's less justifiable to cheat on taxes. For example, in France, uh, you know, now it will change because uh, Sarkozy will control the judiciary system. You cannot go against uh, corrupt politicians anymore since one week. But before you could, and, uh, and uh, that has been a trend in France and in various other countries in Europe. But what's interesting is that the, the transition economies now find br accepting bribes more justifiable than in 1990 by a, by a significant uh, uh, amount. You see, so that's, uh, that's, uh, that's, uh, uh, that I think is interesting in, uh, uh, in, and it shows that it's a lot going for uh, employment. So you see self-employed, a lot of it is from uh, uh, entrepreneurs actually. The self-employed are those who are most like, responsible for this trend. Okay, so now I want to talk about parental values, education uh, and distrust. So I, I talk about trust and you could say, well, within your model it's more like civic education and you talk about trust or civil education. I want to show you that the two are related and they are related to regulation as I, I suggested. So uh, we look, in fact, in the survey, if World Value Survey, you, you try to track uh, values such as tolerance, unselfishness, respect for other people. And you ask people, here is a list of qualities which children should be encouraged to learn at home. Which, if any, do you consider to be especially important? Tolerance and respect for other people, unselfishness, etc. And we get a, a, an index of uh, demand for civic education. Uh, for This, it covers 50 countries, this, this picture. And there what you see is that, uh, in fact, 
there is a negative correlation between distrust and the extent to which people think that uh, children should be encouraged to learn tolerance and respect. So this variable is one-to-one -one with trust, you see. Uh, 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 if I had put trust on the vertical axis, you would have, of course, a positive correlation, one-to-one, -one, okay? So whenever you have countries which have more, where people are more in favor of civic education, also those are higher trust countries, okay? So that's on the, the first thing I wanted to, to argue. So now I want to look at regulation of entry. Before I used to trust at regulation of entry and trust. And now I look at regulation of entry and whether children should be encouraged to learn tolerance and respect. And whether, whenever you think that children would be less, uh, whenever you have, so where, where do we believe that is more the case? Sweden, Denmark, the, the Scandinavian, that's where you think that children should be most encouraged to learn tolerance. And that's where you regulate entry less, you see? Uh, uh, so that's, uh, so whatever I said on trust before, you can replicate with really this direct measure of civic education, okay? And, uh, and here what you do, we regress distrust and regulation on civic education, okay? And so what you see is that civic education uh, is negatively correlated with distrust, but it's also negatively correlated with regulation. And that's what I wanted. And what's interesting is that here we, uh, we control for democracy, fractionalization, uh, uh, and uh, GDP per capita, and those are non-significant in the variable, in the regression. You see, that's what we do. So now I'm almost, I'm getting there. There is another one I want to show you. And uh, uh, I want to show you about the change. I told you that uh, there was a move towards less trust in transition economies. And, and you said, well, is it really reflecting a, a, an evolution towards less civic education? Now you could say, well, you showed us that there is a positive correlation. That's it. So I redo directly with the question on civic education. And what you can see is that between 1990 and 2000, in fact, in transition economies, you want, there is, uh, you, you, the less people want to believe that it's important to teach uh, to be civic, you see? Whereas in the OECD countries, between 1990 and 2000, more people believe that it is important to teach uh, values like civicness to your children. Hmm? And now finally, I arrive at the last one. You want to know if the change in demand for social capital, in, in the fact that you have this perverse effect that in, in transition countries you, the, you want less to teach uh, civicness to your children, if it comes from the old guy or, or, the, or the new guy, is it just old guy? You see, one assumption could be to say, well, I am the old guy, I, was, uh, I invested in civicness, but now, you know, the, 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 the society is a society, you know, the good old days are gone, okay? Uh, uh, there is chaos, I'm, 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 I'm bad off, I'm, uh, I'm losing, I've always been an honest guy, now I have low pensions, and I really believe, now I don't believe anymore in these values, you see what I mean? Because I put my investment, and look what happened to me, it's so unfair, hell with it, you see? That's the second assumption. The other way is to say no, it's because the world has changed in transition economies, and there is less incentive to, to for your children. You think that for your children, it's not so good to be so honest, because here is the world, in Russia, you make a lot of money, or in your countries, you know, by not being so honest, you know? And uh, so you think now, because the world has changed, you should invest in younger generation in this way. So it's very important to know if this, if what we observed in the previous regression was due to uh, old or young generation. And so what we do here is that we, in fact, uh, decompose by generation, we take the age 65 and more as a reference, and you see that uh, uh, all the effects, uh, you see the distrust, but I could have said social capital, uh, um, you see the, the, it's really coming from age 1834, and a bit less 34, 44, and not later on. So it's really the young generation uh, uh, that, uh, you know, is, is really because uh, uh, it's the distrust uh, uh, among younger cohorts 
you see that, uh, that, uh, that uh, there is the increased distrust among younger cohorts that's driving the result of the increase in distrust overall, in, 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 and not among the old. So it's not the, so this really shows that it's not the old good day hypothesis, but it's really that the, the, you've changed the environment, and you suddenly, by the parents said, well, you know, maybe now we should not teach my son to be a teacher or a doctor, but uh, to, you know, to be a good uh, whatever. You see what I mean? There's something else, other skills. And, uh, and, uh, and that's what I think comes out of, of here. So now come the final slide. And uh, what do we get from all this? So the, we, we get that deregulation can be good if people are civic, uh, but can be bad if you have too many uncivic people, if you have a low alpha zero. Uh, deregulation without anything can be bad, actually. It can lead you to have more demand for regulation, less investment in social capital. And the, the result may be that tomorrow you may face, in fact, uh, uh, new regulations. You see, there may be a big demand for re-regulating these economies. And, uh, uh, and in the long run, uh, I know that in the long run, you prefer to be in the Swedish equilibrium with, civic, with more civic guys and less government regulation than in the French equilibrium with more on civic guys and, 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 and more regulation. But the problem is to know how to go to the, from the French to the Swede, or how to make the transition economies move toward in the Swedish way and not in the French way, you see? And, uh, and I think that's a problem. So what could you do? But I believe in public education to raise the level of social capital. Scandinavian countries invest enormously in, 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 in education. We've seen that for higher education, for example, in the first lecture. Another thing you can do is to invest in trust between social partners. You could tell people, look, your employees and employees, you make a deal. That deal will become the law and we give you money, we reward you. That's not the way it's done in France. In France, the socialist government so far substitutes itself to the social partners. He said, well, you don't need social dialogue. I am the socialist government. I am the welfare state. I substitute, no, no need for dialogue, no need for meeting. I do the job. That's very bad in a sense because you don't encourage trust building. I think you should now, the left in France, should really go into this business of saying, I have to help people helping themselves. How can you help people engage in dialogue with each other? How can I be a catalyzer of dialogue, not a substitute to dialogue? And I think that's a kind of route to do. There is another thing also. This trust in French enterprises comes very much from the Grand École system. Very often you have a boss, either he's a boss because his father was a boss, so that way he was a bad pupil. When he was a good pupil, he went to polytechnique, and, uh, then, a good, and then you have a polytechnique guy. You know you have no chance to ever become an employer because you didn't go to polytechnique. That creates an enormous barrier between employers and employees. And, uh, and I think there is something to, to rethink about our education system and, the, and, the, and how it, it translates into the enterprises. Because you, you, you have, it's very hard, you see, that you, it, it, has, it creates a big divide between employees and employees and big source of distrust. And maybe there again, you can. So my dialogue with Sarkozy was to say, you deregulate, but at the same time, the, you, you, the, the, the unions are very weak. And you didn't help, you almost started. At some moment, Sarkozy did something which I thought would be very good. He said, look, make an agreement between employers and employees. And if you make this agreement, I pass this agreement. I will propose this agreement in the, in the parliament. And then they got an agreement, and Sarkozy reneged on its words. The, the, the fact the labor minister was uh, Xavier Bertrand, said, no, in fact, now you got the agreement, I will add certain things on the 35 hours. And for the first time, you had a delegation comprising CGT and the MEDEF, which is the employer's union, joint to go to see Xavier Bertrand, to see whatever. Uh, 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 to protest this move by the government. Because I say, look, we were in the process of getting trust with each other, and now you are undermining it for ideological or electoral reasons. 
and, uh, and that's very bad. And when also when I saw Sarkozy, I said, well, this thing that you did, you should not have done because you've undermined the trust and the trust is a big part of the success of, uh, of the regulation reform if you want to make that reform uh, uh, durable. And that, uh, that uh, concludes what I wanted to say. Thank you. I was uh, fascinated at the end that when you were talking about distrust of managers, you chose as your example Polytechnique. Yeah, which, not which is the I'm voice a... of the true Ecole Normale Sub yeah, person. I, yeah. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Couldn't be Ecole Normale. Right. Um, who'd like to ask, and if you could give your name as well. I think, yeah, you got your hand up first. If you could give your name, and there's a microphone on its way to you at speed. Great. Uh, I'll ask you a question about the data, not a question about your model, if you permit. Yeah. Um, well, listening to the way you talk about the French government, I wonder if you trust that government also. Uh, why would you trust that data if the French are so mistrusted, as the level of trust is so low? Why would they even trust you to give you this data on which you rely to? Ah, no, no, Miss, you don't ask officials to give you the data, you ask people. Yeah, yeah, the people themselves. Oh, they could yeah, lie. The, the data is, do you trust others? your neighbor or do you trust... Uh, oh, because, you know, they don't, it's yeah. anonymous, so, you know, why would you... And you know, why would you... Uh, you lie to yourself. I mean, why, why would you... I mean, you don't... You know, it's, it's a, it's, I survey people. I ask them, do you trust institutions? I don't, I don't ask institutions. So I trust... I ask people, do you trust justice? Do you trust each other? And sure, they just say sure. yes or no. Because there is no reason why they should, you know. I, you know, you can always think that people lie, but I mean, any kind of survey, you can ask that question. But there, there is not an obvious reason. There is not a big, obvious conflict of interest because nobody will know who they are. You see what I mean? It's anonymous. You don't say Mr. X said that. He will not go in no record. Okay, thank you. Uh, yeah. the, the reason for that question was because yeah. uh, if you do cross-country data yeah. and yeah. the trust level No, we do varies, individual and we aggregate by country. That's what countries, we do. We don't ask the government. We, we, we do individually and then we average over the, at the country level. Yeah, then about the model, yeah. uh, well, trust, is it an exogenous variable? Because it seems to be that it is a result. No, here it's a result. It's an equilibrium. So that's yeah. why you have the multiple equilibria. So you have some forces that determine whether you are. What would be the exogenous would be cost to, uh, to become civic. So for example, the epsilon, or the, you, know, you could imagine that to become more civic, you have a cost, you, or you can act on the cost. Those would be exogenous variables. But here, the alpha is an equilibrium alpha. Those are equilibrium variables. So regulation and uh, uh, civicness or trust in the model are both equilibrium. So you have a two-way causality, in fact. That's what it means. So we could have... But which is underlined by, you know, you have underlying parameters that determines more if you're more likely to be on one or the other equilibrium. Yeah, we could have a case where the... The, 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 the trustworthy guy is, the yeah. ir is behaving irrationally because he's not taking bribe in an uh, economy where bribe is. Ah, then you the trust irrationality. Now, here yeah, you assume rational yeah, individuals. So yeah. But the thing is that you could eliminate the bad equilibrium with policy. So it's a model where you have the two equilibria. But if you have policies, for example, let's say I subsidize a lot investment in social capital, or you could do various things, you could eliminate the bad equilibrium. You see? So that's the, that's the, that's the whole point of the model. It's a matter of multiple equilibria where policy can, uh, can, can eliminate the bad equilibrium. Okay. Okay. Someone, yeah. yeah. Go down here at the, at the front. Yeah. Thanks. Hi, thank you very much for three days of wonderful lecture. And in the introduction of your first lecture, you stressed the importance of labor market flexibility for growth. Yeah. Yeah. 
And uh, I wonder how you can combine labor market flexibility with, uh, with trust between employee and employers in the sense that in the last year, labor market flexibility was a synonymous of labor precarity. And in some European countries, as Italy and France, this process, there was a process yeah. of flexibilization yeah. Yeah. that was translated into yeah. a, f yeah. a shift of functional distribution from, capital, from labor to capital. Yeah. And so you have some inequality issue. And if I can add another small question is, yeah. I can see how labor market flexibility between high-skilled labor can spur in innovation and so growth. But it's harder for me to see how like labor market flexibility among normal worker or blue collar workers can actually increase innovation and so growth. So, yeah. thank you. So, uh, on the first one, I mean, the, the, the idea there is to say, you know, when you have, when you have trust, you can afford to deregulate because the, the social partners do it, you see? And the social partners have more incentive to invest in trust when they know they can produce more and they can get more out of the activities. You see what I mean? So that, that's a kind of two-way causality in general. You see what I mean? If I know that more, you know, I have more incentive to invest in trust with you when we know that we are more allowed to do things. So if you have too heavy regulation, there is no incentive to invest in trust. But when there is also distrust, uh, uh, then I ask for regulation because I don't trust you and I want more regulation. So that, that's what creates this multiplicity. Uh, uh, of, uh, but now labor market flexibility, how can you do it in a way that preserves trust? For example, that's why I believe in the Danish way. You see, you did a flex security system where you say, you know, firms can fire and hire, but uh, 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 workers have insurance, and also you have a kind of bonus-malus system, you know, like, for example, Blanchard and Tyrol have talked about for France, but that has been done in the U.S., where, uh, you know, uh, if, you, if you are a firm and you abuse the right to fire, uh, people, you are of course penalized. You see what I mean? You, so there, it's, a it's a system that responsabilizes everybody. So you can design systems that force people to talk to each other, you know what I mean, and to be responsible. And that I think, what that the kind of things that are being experimented in Denmark, for example, have this also this aspect that you can flex, you can uh, uh, put more flexibility in the labor market without reducing trust as much. But that would be interesting to look at that in more detail, whether in fact labor flex security has achieved that particularly. But you see, that's my own belief. That, that you can do flexibility in ways that, re, that minimizes the scope, the risk of, of going into more distrust because you have a certain rules of the game to do. Uh, fundamental rules of the game where, in which people can be flexible but within certain limits and they have to, uh, to play on, on, the, on these rules. So that, that's you no, 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 we did, in fact. We controlled the thing for income inequality. So that's, of course, and that was very important, for, in particular for the transition thing. We, we took into account the, the GINI and the and, and difference in education. Absolutely. Uh, next one yeah. over there, yes. Oh, guy with the, yes. Yeah. Sorry, no, that, that's enough. Yeah. Uh, just, yeah, there with the hands up there. That's it, thanks. Hi, thanks very much for your presentation. Um, I would just like to ask, because your model was very much based on the real economy uh, with the production, and I was just wondering, under the current financial crisis, how do you think that regulation applies to the service industry, and more particular, uh, the, fi the financial industry? And do you see, because uh, I see a model that would predict we might have some over-regulation and we might move to the alpha becoming zero in your model. Um, and yeah. I'm just seeing well, what's your thought on that. So it Thank could you. be another instance, in fact. Maybe, I mean, I could use that as another example. Maybe when finance was deregulated too much over the past 20 years without having complementary investment in rules of the game and social capital. You see what I mean? It's maybe another example where, in fact, deregulation uh, uh, was done too quickly without enough complementary uh, things, investments, and that led to what, uh, to what we have now, where you have a demand for regulation now, in fact, uh, in the financial sphere. 
And now the big problem is that they may, there is a risk that people will demand regulations in all things. They will also demand regulation on the product and labor market that maybe we should not be uh, introduced as strongly as in finance. You see, you can have a backlash now. In, there is a big risk in developed economies that, in fact, because uh, things went too far, because we didn't put complementary investment in social capital to the financial deregulation, now there will be a, a kind of uh, excessive demand for new regulation, uh, even to an extent that we don't want. And uh, or, or to, for protectionism and things, and that I think. So, but that's very interesting that we can use also the financial. It would be interesting to see whether the model can be adapted or, or, or used to illustrate also the the, the 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 trust crisis that you have in, uh, and also how government will maintain uh, trust. You see how how Gordon Brown will keep having trust uh, of of people. You say we look that he knows what he's doing, and. Uh, and uh, I think there it's important to say for the government, you know, I'm doing things that, you know, Scandinavian countries did in the 1990. In fact, what Gordon Brown did a lot when he renationalized some banks, it was to redo what the Swedes and the Finnish did in 1990 when they had their banking crisis. And we know that that worked to some extent. So I think we'd be, so when you tell people, look, I'm doing, I'm, I'm trying to use the best practice elsewhere, and that comes from this and that country. Uh, and I'm also investing in the social, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, safety nets to make sure that the consequences will be uh, minimized for people. I think that's a way to maintain trust. It's very important that government uh, keeps, uh, you know, having the trust of the people in a time where new regulation have to be uh, have to be introduced like this. Yes. Yeah, guy in the middle there. Yeah. With, uh, yeah. Turban in the middle. Yeah. Thanks. He's only nationalising Scottish banks. You do realise it's not an English issue. This, but. Uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Thank you, sir, for your presentation. I'm Prakash at the LSE, and uh, I just had a couple of points about your regression. Yeah. Uh, one was that maybe you didn't control for the fact that some countries may be more prone to conflict. So, for instance, you know, some country may have had a conflict in the past five years, and that might affect. Have had what? Have had conflict. Conflict. Conflicts. That might have. Well, we we control for fr fractionalization, for example, right. variable, but which are correlated with conflict. So it's true we could we could put conflict. We could put conflict as, a, as, as directly as a variable. And that's right. we didn't do. So that way we could Fractionization that. actually yeah. does not have an effect yeah. on conflict. Yeah. I mean Control directly for conflict. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and the other thing could be, yeah. um, for instance, a technological shock. I don't know if you have more than two um, years to control for like year specific effects, but you could have um, shocks that are sort of correlated across the countries that affect both the level of distrust and the regulation technological shocks, for instance, the emergence of uh, internet or, uh, I don't know, net social networks. That, that would have played the role of uh, acting. But well, the, the internet revolution pushed towards uh, less product market regulation, but when still when I compare between, I see differential uh, evolution of countries between 1990 and 2000, and that's what I'm getting in, the, in, the, in this regression where I use these two waves. So countries have moved in general towards, so I see that, you know, uh, but in different ways. Well, and, but and, you can't uh, control and the I try to capture the heterogeneity in response right. of countries to this common shock uh, that you are mentioning. When I go from 1990 to 2000, I capture that partly. Thank but you. you know the surveys, I only have 1990, 2000. Right. I, I, I would lo love to, I have 80, so we could look at 80. So right. then we capture my pretty much the, the, the wave and try to isolate what the wave did there. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks. Yeah, uh, yeah guys, just right in front of you, shirt sleeves there. Yeah. Hi, thanks. Um, my name's John McDermott. All the trust data seems to be about, I'm sorry, between people in the same country. I wonder if, if you have any thoughts on how important trust is across borders because yeah. we've yeah. seen recently how important 
global yeah. deregulation is. Yeah. And also, if you're designing policies for growth yeah. and you assume free trade, for example, is important. Yeah. So th that, in fact, uh, is work that's been done already. Enfin, you know, there is always more to do. But Zingales, Sapienza, and Guizot have done very interesting work on, on trust across countries. And they found a very good instrument because, uh, the, you know, you always want, and they looked at, you know, how trade volumes or growth depends on this trust. And it's positively correlated with trust across countries. So that's been done. And what's very nice in what they did is, thanks to that, they could look at an instrument for trust. And they used a genetic instrument. So if you are more similar genetically, you tend to trust more other people. I don't know, I don't know why you should believe that, but they use that as an instrument. At least it's the first example of this kind of analysis, where you have an instrument for trust, uh, but it's very hard to do within countries. It's, a, it's easier to do across countries. And, and that's what they've done. But that's done by them, by this uh, Guizo Sapienza Zingales uh, work, which I think is very interesting. Uh, just in front yeah. of the stripey. Yeah. yeah. There's a uh, microphone just there. One, just one sec. Yeah, my general questions, I think, if you may remember from last night, we're talking about globalization. Just a really a follow-on from that. Obviously, Gordon Brown in the UK plays a lot of credence by suggesting his decision to recapitalize the banks is based on decisions made elsewhere. So therefore, taking that theory through, we add credibility to our decision-making processes by trying to compare what other nation states would do in a similar situation. Then leading that through to, we think it's a good idea to have some form of homogenous response to what we now perceive to be a global issue. So in policy making terms, obviously there is a movement towards greater comparative work between nation states and therefore trying to justify our decisions based on that comparative work. Following that through, based on the type of discussion we've had tonight, where there is great differences, disparities between nation states on relevant factors which influence these type of decisions, obviously there is a push towards a greater respo collective response to these type yeah. of activities. Your data is suggesting that would be quite dangerous, and at the moment, na national governments are well, haven't quite gone as far as a collective response, but are taking bits of what they believe to be appropriate actions and working them through at a national level. So in relation to policy, mm. where do you think all of that situates and what do you think will happen going forward? Yeah, in fact, the model, what I did today, doesn't have much to say on the, on the yeah. question you, you, because it's, you know, different country, and I look at, you know, what happens in the country uh, on trust and regulation in the country. So I don't look at cross-border regulations or, uh, uh, but uh, in general, I mean, what you are asking is that whether, you know, there will be a notion of trust across countries. I mean, that would be a different, you know, should government trust each other and, and coordinate and, and have a, you see, I mean, uh, the big question there is that the 30s, generated a, a wave of uh, you know, protectionism, non-cooperation, wars and things. And what can you do for this crisis not to lead to the same thing? And can you have a kind of coordinated action between governments, not have uh, the US let the, the dollar go and, uh, uh, without coordinating with the ECB, not have uh, China play non-cooperative on exchange rate forever? And, uh, and, and how can you... Uh, uh, have you know get get s some cooperation going out of this crisis, and I think that's a big. But but the model doesn't speak to that because the model speaks about you know trust of people in their institution or in other people in their country, 
related to regulations in their country, even though regulations can change in a coordinated way across, uh, across countries. I, I think my point was really focusing on the fact that your model did yeah. uh, bring out the cultural differences between countries, which in effect... You could use, like, uh, like between countries, said, for example, if you have distrust, uh, you, you will go towards much more regulation in that case will be protectionism. You would say, you know, if we don't trust each other, we'd become much more protectionist or much more, uh, and how can you, so the kind of spiral that you see yeah. in my model, you could see in the, tr the cross-country trust and, and regulations. Uh, and that, uh, that's a question that, uh, yeah. We'll take yeah. one uh, last one, yes, straight uh, in front there. <coughs> I was just wondering whether, what role inequality might play in some of this. I noticed you had Gini index yeah. on one of the yeah. slides, but it's yeah. not mentioned in the rest of the talk as far as I noticed. So uh, it's gone off. Yeah, uh, I, think I, I think it could yeah. play a role in, yeah. in quite a what you're talking yeah. about. So for example, uh, what I believe is that it would play, for example, social capital. It's true that one, one of the things I say education could be other device to reduce inequality. Because if you have too many, too many inequalities, you, divide so you have a kind of divided society. And that's like having more distrust. So I would look also at Gini things. I mean, in, on the policies to complementary to deregulation, I might also be concerned that inequality don't be on the, kept under control, you see? And that, that would be like that because, because too much inequality deteriorates social capital. Uh, uh, so that's how I would play it, is that I think, I think what was the key to the success of Scandinavian countries <coughs> is that they deregulated in countries where you maintain, for example, very progressive income, personal income tax. They reduce corporate tax, but they maintain very progressive personal income tax. And, uh, and they correct inequality a lot. And I think that's part of the machinery. That's part of the, that's part of the social model. That's, the, that's part of the social fabric there. Just that when you call it trust and social capital, social yeah, fabric, exactly. Exactly, and then you what you should do is open the black box of that. Say, well, how would you do to increase this trust? And and you could have measures like educative measures, direct education, or the inequality policy, or this kind of investment in in social dialogues. And I think they are all part of us of this kind of policy that third way or new left tries to get at is to say we, no more. You know, it's not so much after we are not so much after uh, you know the welfare state, the kind of top down guys. You know, you know, uh, but we are about things that make sure that you know. Uh, the equilibrium goes towards the right equilibrium where still you have people uh, being the actors. You're, you are not replacing the actors, but you are making sure that the, that the thing don't, doesn't derail. And, and one of them is certainly to control inequalities. I'm, I'm, I'm convinced it's part of the, of the, social, of the ingredient to, to, my, to increasing social capital. For example, for example, in Russia, a number of transition economies, uh, you know, Valserovich is a good friend and things. He always told me that inequality is for him absolutely no problem, never a problem. And I think that that and I think that that kind of no caring for inequality in Poland brought you the, the twins, the twin brothers. That's what you get when you are like that. You see, that's what you get, uh, what you risk to get. So I think I think now they are thinking more about inequality. I think after they got the twins. Well, that's a sorry, sorry. Alors absolutely, you want absolutely, and you want inequality, but but you have to make sure that not to an extent that that then derails and then. Uh, uh, derails, uh, you know, the, or does not secure the, the good deregulation that you did, because you also need the regulations on, uh, in other sectors. Uh. Well, you, you raise a fascinating prospect that Gordon Brown's neglect of inequality could lead us to two David Camerons, which would be uh, fascinating. <laughs> cool. but, um, I, I'm, the, not, I'm, uh, yeah. I'm, I'm not a Tory, but he's better than the twins. No? <laughs> yes, I think so. Um, the uh, uh, argument in the three lectures that most appealed to me, of course, was the argument for more 
uh, public investment in higher education. But I, there were, of course, other points you made. And um, from <laughs> reading the slides of the previous ones and listening tonight, I can say that this series was in the best tradition uh, of lively and provocative and contestataire uh, Robin's lectures. We're very grateful to you for coming over. Thank you very Thanks much. So.